All right. Praise the Lord. Robert, you got to tell us something about Mexico, amigo. Revelation. <laughs> Was that translated? The guy up there, Mexican sponge. El hombre de arriba. No, I'm just pulling your leg, Robert. You know, I, I'm going to make another request on the lights. Can we trade those for these two? Because you're going to put up that that uh, cloud thing for me, right? It's not that hard. We can do this. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Are you going to put my cloud up there? Good. Sure, throw it up there. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, I picked that up for Matthew. Uh, on the <laughs> Matthew, every Wednesday night for kids' cell says, <clears throat> now Pastor Jeff's going to throw up whatever it is. You know? <laughs> and it's just his way of saying things. And I, I always feel like I'm supposed to uh, produce something of significance, as you might say. Anyway, so he's, he's got me. <laughs> You say, don't, don't say that, Matthew. You're going to make me say that. So, how many of you ever seen one of these? It's called a word cloud. You can, uh, you can go on to Wordle, W O R D L E dot net, and make your own if you want. But what somebody's done is gone in through the Bible and inputted all 66 books of the Bible and put in the parameters to say, as, as the most prominent words appear in the book, then make those bigger on the page and on this word cloud. And then they put in another parameter saying eliminate the common words like the and done, is and ah and and things like that. And so this happens to be the word cloud for the book of Hebrews, which we're starting today. I know I got kind of a head start that Jesus R. Melchizedek a few weeks back. But um, Rob and I have agreed that we're going to make our way all the way through the book of Hebrews. What do you say? Let's do this. And uh, Hebrews is a very doctrinal book. There's a lot of strong teaching in the book of Hebrews, and some stay away from it because of that, because it's so doctrinal. You can get lost in the teachings therein and not find much application. But I am, I am very excited about the applications that come from the book of Hebrews. The, when you think about the letter written to the Hebrews, it's got some marvelous things about it. Mystery is one of those, because nobody really knows who the author is. There's lots of speculation. Some people want to say it's Paul, and others say, no, Barnabas hung around with Paul, and so you get the St. Pauline kind of style. But uh, uh, Origen, in, uh, later on, I think it was in the second century, said, the truth is nobody knows who wrote it except for God. And that's who I'm hanging out with, is God, so that's the trump card. <coughs> he, if he's the only one that knows, he hasn't told me, and he hasn't told anybody else. But we do know that it's a letter written to Hebrews, to those early Christians who had come from Judaism into understanding who their Messiah was. And I'm going to not try and cover the whole introduction of the book this way, but one thing that stands out for me in application right away is that these, these Jews, these now Messianic Jews that are being written to, if you'll think about it, this is late in the first century, 
they've been hearing about their Messiah. They've been hearing the teachings of Paul and the other apostles about him coming back. They are they're excited. You know, at one point when Paul wrote to the Thessalonians that uh, because of some of them just quit their jobs because Jesus was coming back. Right. He said, hey, if you don't work, you don't eat. Get back to work. You, you know, work till he comes. <clears throat> and so there was such strong emphasis on the return of Christ and the hope of this soon coming Messiah that by the end of the first century, even though people were still becoming believers and converting to Christ, some of them were getting a little disappointed in their faith. They were saying, you know, I had hoped he'd come by now. Ever had that thought? Isn't that applicable? Doesn't it ring true for us as well? And some of them were being persecuted, right? They were losing their lives for their faith. Many of them were dying. They were being scattered all over the earth because they believed in Jesus. And there was this this undertone for some of them that was saying, listen, um, it's kind of like the Israelites coming out of Egypt. Well, at least in Egypt we had leeks and garlic and had a place to live. Let's go back there. Some of these early believers were now thinking and saying, you know, before we had the law, we had the prophets, we had all this to speak to us. We had priests and we had temples and tabernacles and, and orders of worship. We had all that. Now we have this faith in this mysterious kind of Messiah who's, well, he forgave our sins, but he's supposed to be back by now. Everything's supposed to be going better by now. Oh, my life's supposed to be okay by now. And some of them were discouraged. I look around at our generation and I think it's not far from us. There's that longing for him to return. (laughs) But it's this kind of help me get out of here thought. Because by now I thought it would be better and it seems to get worse. Or is that just my life? Come. My life is so exciting. You should live it. And so this is kind of the foundation that we stand on coming into this letter to the Hebrews. In fact, the Greek title for this book was to Hebrews, but they weren't really called Hebrews. So you have this twist of the letter. It really is a letter to those those who believed in Christ as Messiah in early in the early days, not to be discouraged. And the writer begins to unfold a lengthy Discourse, which we will make it through in probably about 12, 13 weeks, or at least messages. It will take us that long to get through there. He begins to help them understand why what they have is so much better than what they had before. And those of us who have come to Christ, wouldn't you agree with that? Hey, what I have now, as Suzanne was just testifying, what I have now is so much better than what I used to have. Right? And it doesn't matter how good you had it in the world. When you realize your sins were dragging you to hell and you had no hope and you were forgiven, everything, the, the playing field is level. And you go, wow, I've got it so good now. I could lose everything on this earth and still go to heaven. I could lose all that I have, like Job, you know, family and belongings and riches and wealth and health and all of that could go away. And, and we could end up like Job saying, but with my mouth I won't sin. Because even though I was singing this song out of Job in my, in my heart this morning, you might remember it. I, I'll try not to sing it and follow it up. It says, uh, even though my flesh may be destroyed, yet with my eyes, I will see God. I will see him on that day because I know my Redeemer lives. There's hope in what we're following here. And, and so I find just excitement in the book of Hebrews for me. Probably the greatest teaching uh, uh, or theme that you'll find in reading through, you'll find 13 times the word better. And the writer's saying, hey, what we have is better. Jesus is better this way. And, and the covenant we have is better this way. Our hope is better this way. And 13 times in 13 chapters. They're not all one in a chapter, but... Thirteen times he's saying it's better, it's better, it's better. So this is the grand rainbow that spans over the top of Hebrews is life is better with Christ. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, 
who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. God spoke in. Have you ever thought about the ways that God spoke uh, to his people in the old covenant? Dreams, visions, prophets, circumstances, thunder, still small voice. Song, uh, minstrels, poets, prophets for all the way from Moses to Malachi were those that God said, I will do nothing unless I reveal it first to my prophets. And so the prophets became the mouthpiece of God. And when judgment would come on a nation, Israel or even a foreign nation, the prophets would stand up and say, this is what's happening or this is what's going to happen. And so in all of these various ways, through thunders and all the lightning up on Sinai and the cloud, and you know the people were so shaken by that moment with Moses up there, they said, let, let Moses talk to us, but don't let God talk to us. That freaks us out. He's too holy. We can't get too close. Which, by the way, was a mistake. Because God would have spoken to all of them. But they said, just give it to him. And so Moses became the point man for millions of people. And that's a mistake. Unfortunately, I think it was... God wanted to open the way into fellowship with him to everybody, which he finally did through Christ. But they were so afraid for themselves that they said, let him do it. Clefts of rocks, burning bushes. God, this is what this means. God who at various times, in other words, at all these different points throughout our history as a people on earth, God chose to speak in numerous ways. In various ways, using all kinds of methods to get our attention. Uh, you think of the Israelites walking in the, in the wilderness, nothing to drink. And here's a rock, and he says, tap the rock, you know, and Moses taps the rock. Out comes water for millions of people. Somebody did the math on that, by the way. Maybe you've gotten it somewhere along the way. That If you put all the water they needed into train cars, how many train cars would they have needed in the desert? And it's, it's phenomenal. To think God just opened a rock and water came out? Can you do that? No, I can't do that either. But God can do that. The writer's saying that he spoke to our fathers that way throughout history in all these various ways. But now he's brought to us a best revelation. Those were revelations of who he was. You remember when Moses said, who should I say sent me? And the answer was kind of odd. Just tell him I am that I am sent you. Or other versions render it, you know, I will be who I will be. He didn't say, I'm, just tell him God sent you because there were other gods. So tell him I am. And this was one of the ways God revealed himself to us as to mankind was through his names. And we have the compound names of God that have come throughout the generations. You know, Jehovah Rapha. We love to sing Jehovah Rapha. Why? Because it means the Lord our healer. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner. Jehovah Rophe, the Lord our shepherd. And he has all these compound names. Right? In various places throughout history, he revealed who he was through his name. But it was always coming through a prophet, always coming through a messenger. And saying that there's coming a time when a complete revelation of who God is will appear. The epoch of all time will come slamming to a close and we will know God as we should know him. And this writer is saying, and this is how he did it. He did it in his son. The person of the only begotten son of God became, as it says here, he's spoken to us. He is the... He's the brightness of his glory, and he is the express image of his person. I want to show you seven simple facts that make Jesus the best revelation of who God the Father is. Okay? Really, I'll actually number them today. <laughs> How about that? Seven. In just these three verses... Seven facts 
that are stated about the Son of God, which bring out his greatness and show why the revelation given in him is the highest that God can give. I was reading, this, this crowd might be able to go with this. I mean, who knows who Errol Flynn is or was? Some, hey, we have pretty good balance here. So we have no idea who Errol no. Errol Flynn played um, in, in Robin Hood. And who, what was his part? Was he Robin Hood? No, 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 no. Well, who was the guy that played next to him? That played John. Thank you. I didn't think anybody would remember that name. Helen Hale. How many of you know who he was? You know, no. Whatever. But, however, my point is different. So don't go anywhere. This is my illustration. How many of you know uh, Gilligan's Island? Oh, more of us know that. Remember Skipper? That was his son. That was this John son. And so people said, this illustration I read said, we might not know who the guy was or the name was, this Hale guy that played that part in Robin Hood. But if you can picture Skipper in Robin Hood outfits, you got him. Why? Because he was his father's son. He looks just like him. And I, I, I kind of tried to grab that illustration and throw it in here and force it upon you. But the point is this. God, throughout all time, announced who he was through prophets. And they said, but this is what I'll do. I'll send my son. And when you see him, you'll know me. I'm skipping ahead in some of the points, but remember what Jesus said uh, to the guys who said, I'm going to go away. I'm going to prepare a place, John 14. And when I'm ready, I'll come back and get you for myself. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know the way. Show us the way. I'm the way and the truth and the life. And then wasn't it Philip who said, well, just show us the Father and it will suffice. What was Jesus' answer? Have I been so long with you? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is the express image of the Father. We reach into our pocket, pull out a coin, which it's kind of funny. We don't use a lot of them anymore, do we? There's ATM cards and visas and all that. And, you know, there's, they never clank in the offering anymore. We don't get much coin. But the coin is simply the exact impression of the stamp, isn't it? You know, they build the stamp and, and it comes out the exact expression of that press. And in these days, in these final days of the end of time, what God is saying, or this writer is telling us, is that God spoke to us through the very impress of himself in the person of Jesus. So if you will get to know Jesus, then you will get to know God. That's why Jesus said, no man comes to the Father except through me. You can't know him unless you know me. Think about that. Because there are those who want to bypass Jesus and say they know God. Happens every day, right? Well, I'm, I know God. Well, do you know Jesus? Well, that doesn't matter. Wait a second. Wait. Jesus said you can't know God unless you know the express image of who he is. I've come in the last days to declare who he is and to give you an illustration of his character. To walk among you and to actually live out his will and purpose. Jesus said, I don't do anything I don't see the Father doing. I don't see anything I don't hear him saying to me. I'm not here on my own accord. I'm here to be the demonstration of God whom no man has seen. But now we can see him in the person of Christ. And these seven facts about him tell us quickly in the introduction to this epistle. It's enormous what's in this three verses. Let's look at it. Whom he has appointed heir of all things. This is number one. Jesus is the heir of all things. Here in Psalm chapter 2, there's this promise. It's prophetic. It says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? Kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, capital A, 
speaking prophetically of Jesus, his son, saying, let's break their bonds in pieces. Let's cast away the cords from us. But let's move down in verse 7. says, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. Who, who is this prophetic psalm talking about? He's, have, he's demonstrating prophetically a conversation from God the Father saying, you're my son. He's talking about Jesus, right? And he says, ask of me. And I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possessions. Jesus, here in Hebrews, says he has uh, appointed him the heir of all things. It's been in the scriptures since way back then. Jesus will inherit it all. He will become Lord of all. In Revelation, and... I'm going to put a number of these scriptures in the in the notes for this week for the life groups. So you can go over them again. In Revelation 11:15, in the seventh trumpet, the kingdom is proclaimed. And it says, then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. The fact that God said, this is the heir of everything. He is the heir of everything. There's nothing that will be excluded from him in ownership and rulership. Could he say that about any of the prophets? No. Isaiah's not getting that credit. Jeremiah's not going to have that. Ezekiel. Any of them. Malachi. They were just men who announced about God what God was saying to generations and to people. But Jesus... He says, is the heir of everything. That raises this so high. Number two. And I should leave a marker in here for Hebrews, shouldn't I? So keep coming back there. He is appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. This word worlds, it doesn't serve us well all the time in English because it really means ages. It means all of time. It moves beyond the globe, the planets, and it goes into the entire universe, actually. And it says through him, that is through Christ, everything was made. Remember what John said in chapter 1 of his gospel? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He was there at the beginning. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. We can go back into the Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 8, if you're familiar with it, there's a long discourse between chapter verse 22 and verse 31 where it talks about wisdom. And wisdom is talking. Wisdom says, I was there in the beginning. Before anything existed, I was there with him. And when this happened, I was there. And when that happened, I was there. And it basically infers that wisdom was in the beginning with God. And when God started creating, wisdom was right alongside. And so we understand prophetically that Proverbs chapter 8 is speaking of Christ. He is the wisdom of God, right? And so even before the revelation of Jesus came in the flesh incarnate to us, It was declared in Proverbs that the wisdom of God, the Son of God, the anointed of God, was the one through whom everything was made. I think about Genesis 1, we were joking about light, let there be light. But truly, in the first chapter of Genesis, God said, and it it happened. And then God said, and I like that, that's good too. And God said, and he kept saying for six days until it was all done. What What was the vibrant, living piece of that moment? His word. I've shared before that when I first got saved, it was the time uh, of the 60s and 70s, right? (laughs) Some of us raise our hands and say, I lived through that. (laughs) I lived through the 70s, baby. I had an eye exam this week, and uh, they put dye in my arm and ran it through my eyeballs and took pictures and flashed photography inside my head, and it was just a blast. I mean, it's a... And uh, when they got done, 
the whole room was pink. <clears throat> and I had these circles floating around, and I said, man, who needs the 70s? And the, the little girl that was taking about all the pictures laughed. She said, you know, the first one that said that to me, you know. So somebody said, this is better than LSD. I said, well, it's close. <laughs> Why did I say that? Who knows? I just had fun. Um, there's a reason, I know. I just had too much fun saying it. I do that, don't I? And I go flop off the edge and to drag. Look, the guy in the gas truck you know, drag me back up to the road and try again. When I got saved, thank you. God said, <laughs> thank you. When I got saved, the reason for that, the psychedelic part, remember all the little bubble letters? Little, all the girls write notes to each other with the bubbles, little funny things, little cloud-looking letters. And one time I was, somebody was probably preaching, and, this, and God said, and to me I saw these, this word, these little bubble letters popped into my view and said light. And as it sort of jiggled across the screen, there was light. And it was just a revelation to me, a breaking through for me that God, God knew I could relate to this craziness. He said, see, I can just say that word, and inside of that word is enough in itself to make everything it says. I'm God. If I say light. Just in the power of my word is everything, you know, atoms and neutrons and whatever else you can name that's in there. It's inside what I say. I am so powerful. Well, I got to just speak it. And it'll create what I say. Hey, this is the God that's on your team, by the way. You're on his team. He's on yours. Right? And, and when you need life, you begin to speak life in Jesus' name. You say, I'm going to cooperate with heaven here. I'm, he would speak it's in his word. It's revealed to me that, that uh, he's uh, more than a conqueror, and he makes me more than a conqueror, right? He's a conqueror. I'm more than a conqueror. He just gives it to me. And so he's righteous, and he gives me his righteousness. So I agree with him in my speech. I say, I want my words to quiver with the power that says I am righteous in Christ. I'm healed in Jesus Christ. That I'm saved. I'm forgiven. I'm loved by God. I begin to let my speech come into alignment with what he says, and it's filled with life, too. See, words in the, in the spirit-filled believer's mouth are powerful words. If you're just always saying negative stuff, it's got life in there too, right? Life and death and the power of the tongue. Nothing was created without Christ. And so all this, let me try and pull my bubbles and everything together. <laughs> if God was speaking the word, and we look at John chapter 1, you know, where we were just reading, I should have left my... Bible open there. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. We move over to verse 14. It says, and the word was made flesh. Are you, are you, can you get there with me? The word, Jesus, was made flesh. And God was speaking the word that means he was moving through the person of Christ to create everything because Jesus is the word. And he comes and lives in the flesh. He's the word made flesh. I incarnate, that's what the word means, in the flesh, right? Jesus, God incarnate, God in the flesh. Jesus says, I'm wisdom. I'm in the beginning. I was there with God in the beginning. When he would speak the word, he was using and working through me the word. To make everything. This is amazing stuff to me. I mean, it's exciting to get. I hope you get a breakthrough, a revelation, or at least a good nap <laughs> here this morning. Okay. Number three, he is the brightness of. His glory. Does anybody have a, a, a King James Bible? Just good old King James. You know, you believe it. Paul wrote the King James, and it's good enough for him. It's good enough for you. Do you have? It's just King James, not New King James. Read that for me. Oh, there's a. Well, I'll borrow. I'll even borrow it and read it for you. Just, I just want this big fancy King James word. He is the brightness of his glory. Verse three. 
I think. Is it three? Oh, fooey, that didn't do it. It's the word, uh, I can't even hardly pronounce it. I was hoping somebody else could. Is the F, F, effulgence is the word. He's the effulgence of his glory. Whew, that's a fat word. You know, even in English, it's overweight. But a, a simple illustration would be we have the sun out there. How many millions of miles away is that? 93 million miles away. It takes the light. How long does it take the light to get to, from the sun to the earth? you guys know? Um, you got a guitar pick. That's a good answer. That's definitely a... a you're trying to distract me here. Yeah. Somewhere around eight minutes and 19 seconds. Pretty close. That's how long it takes light to get here. The source is way out there. But the light reaches us. And I'm like an old dog anymore. I like to, or a cat. I feel like cats better. I like to crawl up where the sun is. Especially in the winter. I have a window I open and I sit right under it. Let it shine on me. I love that. I like to be warm. And so the sun way out there sends its light and warms me and, and does that to me all these miles away. And God, for a long time and through the prophets, was distant. There was always the person they were talking about. He's the invisible one, the great one, the majesty. El, Elohim, you know, Adonai and all these other names we've talked about. Plus more. But he was always distant and we had to bring things and worship and do sacrifice and try and get close. And Jesus comes and he's like the sunlight. God's like the sun. Jesus is like the sunlight. He comes and brings the glory and the impression and the power of God right to me. Right to you. He brings the living power of the source to you presently. Now, I I don't know if that does anything for you, but I think about getting up in the morning, crusty-eyed and weird hair, probably a little stinky breath, and and God still wants to see you. (laughs) He wants to hang out with you. He's hoping that maybe your first breath will be, good morning, Lord, instead of the other, good Lord, morning. That's an old joke, but it works. We fall prey to the old jokes, don't we? I do. Sorry, you don't have to. And I think that Jesus has come, the effulgence, the brightness of his glory. I'm afraid that, uh, you know, you heard about those guys. Did you guys hear about the guys who are going to take the trip to the sun? They got a little spaceship, they're going to go to the sun. Somebody said, you can't do that, you'll burn out. And they said, ah, no, man, we're going to go at night. (laughs) That is so smart. But you can't go at night, right? You'll burn up. And the, the holiness of God has been like that throughout all the Old Testament, all the prophetic, and all these various and sundry ways of men finding out about God. Is that he's always been that super hot, holy one that you don't get close to or you die. And Jesus says, yeah, but I'll come. And I'll bring the brightness of his glory to you. And I'll let it affect you. And you can actually interact with it, with me. You can now interact through me to the Father. And you can, you can touch the life-giving source and power of God if you'll know the Son, Jesus Christ. He is the brightness of his glory. Whew. And we don't burn up, and we don't have to go at night. Because we can do it right in the daytime. Number four, he is the express image. Of his person. I'm going to turn to Colossians here. This is a great support place for this doctrine, this teaching. Colossians chapter 1. We should always include this on this conversation. Verse 14, this, verse 9 is talking about Jesus and his preeminence and who he is. And 
how in verse 13 he delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. In whom? In whom? That's in Christ. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. We read briefly already in John 1.14 that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The word, God himself made flesh, incarnate. He was the express image of God. He was the pattern. He was the, the look-alike. He was the hail guy. The, the bad illustration I tried to use earlier. Somebody, I'll never use somebody else's illustrations. I'll have to make my own. They don't do theirs well. But, and, and rehearsing for us again, this is where I got ahead of myself. He's the express image of God where Jesus said in John 6:46, nobody's seen the Father except the Son, except the one whom he sent. And the, the pattern, of course, in the Old Testament was if you were to see God, you would die. Or if you were Uzzah and you touched the Ark of the Covenant, you're gone. Because holiness can't interact with unholiness. God has just said that's how it's going to be. And so Jesus said, no man's seen the Father except the one he sent. But then just a few chapters later, he's telling Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I've been with you all this time. And I feel this way today, even after knowing Christ all these years and being a believer for a long time. I'm feeling like, oh, I never got it. I never got it. I mean, I've had a great relationship with him and wonderful times and seen miracles and healings and been restored and forgiven. All this has happened. Now I'm sort of the lights are starting to come on again. I go, oh, my goodness. I saw the Father. All this time I was stopping short saying, well, I just... See the son, that's all I need. No, no, no. I, I can crawl right into the father's lap and have a conversation with the unseen one because of what he's done for you, what he's done for me. He said, here's the express image. I'm the one. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. What, how, do we, how do we apply this to some degree? Some of us grew up believing and being taught that God was really mean, right? Anybody had that? You know, God was mean and just waiting, just like he had the big stick thing, you know, the baseball bat, just watching you with one eye, just hands on his hip, holding the stick, saying, just let him get out of line. Just let him do one thing. Whack! I'll nail him. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've talked to people who were left-handed and raised in the Catholic schools, getting whacked. By those nuns, because nobody can be left-handed. We're all going to be right-handed, and whoo! I mean, just mean God, <laughs> mean nuns. <laughs> and I'm not just picking on the Catholic Church. We've preached in the Christian Church, well, the Protestant Church is just as well. You know that God's going to get you. You know, we like to quote scriptures. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. All things are naked and exposed before Him. With whom we have to do. It's like, oh. You know, you're shaking. You're like, oh. You expect the doors to fling open, you know, and people either running out or some wild thing coming in. Like, oh. You know, it's great for an altar call, though. You know, all of you are going to come now. Run to the altar. Get saved quick before Jesus comes back. He's mean. But what did Jesus, or, or God's mean, but what did Jesus demonstrate? Lord, I beg you, you can heal me if you want to. And Jesus says, I want to. How come you're laying here on your mat? Well, the waters tremble and I can't ever get in because I've been sick so long. Everybody gets, somebody gets ahead of me every time. Well, just take up your mat and go home. They dragged coming through the door. Jesus is teaching. Got a group of people there who's teaching. See these things in, in living color in the Bible. Jesus is teaching a group of people and in you know, struggling through the side door comes the Pharisees dragging this woman. 
Ha! We caught her in the very act of adultery. And I always think, was she alone? Where's the guy? I mean, some things baffle me. And they, you know, they throw her out in the middle of the room and it's quiet. And they're grabbing stones. They know how this works. They're a party to the big stick God. They got rocks. And they're going, okay, the law says stoner. What do you say, oh teacher? And he kneels down and, I don't know, I, 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 have, I get angry. Anybody else ever get angry? And what do you do? Yeah, for me, I've got to take a break. I was uh, telling Jaden recently that uh, Peggy and I, I say that right, <laughs> at least once. And uh, I was so angry about the situation. I wasn't angry with her. I was just angry. It's like I wasn't even hardly saved. And I said, I'm going out. I'm going to go walk until I'm not angry anymore. I took off up the street and went around the block. I think that was the time Una called me and says, everything okay? I've seen you go by my house about six times. (laughs) And I want to say, don't call me right now. Because I'd go a long ways around, all the way back. And I'd come up the street, and as I was getting near my house, I could feel it just rising. Oh, I was still angry. I said, oh, off we go. Right around. I made that lap at least a half a dozen times. I don't know how far I walked, but I had to get it out of me before something went wrong. I had to control it. And I, sometimes I wonder when it just said Jesus was bent down and was riding in the dirt, was he just kind of buying time? So he didn't just, oh, you know, I can't imply that he's like me. But nonetheless, he rode in the dirt, stood up and said, here's the deal. Whoever's without sin, you start. And I love this passage because it says, starting from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their rocks and left. See, because the older guys are smarter. They know they're not going to get away with this. Without sin? (laughs) Not me. But the young guys are still a little, you know, we can do this. I don't have that much sin. I don't stone her first. Deal with mine later. But what do we see Jesus expressing as the image of God? Love. Mercy. Where are your accusers? Remember, they're not alone. There's still a bunch of people he was teaching. They're sitting in their seats like their mouths hanging open going, what is happening here? Jesus just took on the Pharisees with an adulterous woman and he whooped them. How? With love and mercy, kindness and justice. What did he say to her? He said, where are your accusers? They've all gone. Neither do I condemn you. Because that's what it was about, accusing and condemning to death. I don't condemn you either. I'm not going to kill you either. But go and sin no more. You've received mercy. Live in it. You've received grace. Walk it out. Don't just use it as a cover-up for going and sinning again. And we get the same message. We say, now that's a God who loves me. That's a God who's gone before me and paid the price for my sin and then says, I'll give you the strength to live it out. Jesus is the express image of the Father. So when I want to know what the Father's like, I look at Christ. And that's it. God is not different than his Son. And I would imagine that some of us have them in two different categories. And so the teaching of Hebrews, this hugely doctrinal book, wants to help us understand they're the same. And then enter the Holy Spirit, who's with us forever. Teach us and lead us and guide us into truth. And he's going to confirm the same thing, that God is love. He's just, he's merciful, he's kind. But he's not looking to take you out. He's looking to bring you in every day. Okay, you've got to get three in about six seconds. <laughs> Five. He upholds all things by the word of his power. We just read in Colossians 1.17 where it says, And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He created it all, and by the word of his power it's being sustained. I never get up in the morning and pull the string on the sun to make it come up. Do you? 
No. Huh? I, I, I don't worry about the stars falling out of the sky. I hope to see one every now and then, a little meteorite or falling star, whatever we call them. But, but the truth is, he put it all in order. He spoke it into being, and the word of his power made it happen. And it's been going that way all these years. It's not falling out of orbit. It's not messing up. We know that, you know, guys like John Dakin tell us more aptly than me that if the earth was just a little closer to the sun, we'd burn up. If we were a little further away, we'd freeze. But we're perfectly put by the word of God and the creation of his power. And it's sustained in such a way that we have life on this planet. And man, as try as he can to mess things up, can't even mess that up. Because God's in charge. He holds all things together by the word of his power. You'll find that too in, in that section of Proverbs. I've got one more listed here that... Let me just look at it and see if it's worth reading here. For of him, Romans 11:36. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. God said, it is. Not that it was, it still is. And I'm glad it's not falling apart. Decay, yeah, it's going through kind of a downhill problem there. But Number six. Now, all of those, those first five, think about it, are kind of cosmic. You know, God, express image, and sort of big stuff. But this next one says, and he, when he had by himself purged our sins. Only Jesus can purge sin. Only Christ can take away our sin. There is no other way. He's sort of closed-minded about it, right? And there, and why do we need to understand this? Because there are a lot of other religions and ways and methods that man wants to dream up, bypassing Christ, bypassing God's plan, and saying we can get there another way. Well, that's the original sin. That's the original moment in the garden. Adam, there's another way. Eve, there's another way. Well, God wants it that way, but he knows that if you could do this, you could be like him. Come on, bypass him. Do it your way. And that's probably the most sinful issue that we face as individuals, is we decide to do it our way. Right? We're going along in life, and God says, hey, do it like this. Well, I'm going to do it my way. And we end up repenting, hopefully. Saying, God, I'm sorry for my sin. Because I decided to do it my way. It's the original, prideful, I'm greater than God mindset. There's nothing new under the sun. There's no new sin, really, new activities. But it's still the same unfortunate, prideful heart that says, I can do it better than God can. Bad idea. But Jesus said, I can purge your sin. I am the one that will remove that. I'm the one that will negate that and and make it possible for you to be in relationship with God. And throughout Hebrews, we'll find in Hebrews chapter 9 and 10, even Ephesians chapter 1, there are statements that says, He is the one who redeemed us. He is the one who spilled his blood. We did communion here this morning in honor of that moment saying together that it's this body, it's this blood that redeems us. It's the only way it's possible. There's no other purchase that can be made. There's no other sacrifice for sin that can be offered. It's just this one. Jesus said when he once and for all laid down his life for everybody. Number seven. The final part of verse 3 says, When he had purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This kind of a statement, by the way, for us is, indicates that there's a place to sit down. But the original language and the way it spoke to those at the time wasn't indicating a place, geography, a literal throne. What it was saying is that God has been raised to the highest place of honor. The right hand. You know, all through the Old Testament, it was taught that when, when a father was passing on, he wanted to lay his blessing onto his kids. He, he laid his right hand on him. Remember that one story where they brought the kids and he crossed his hands? Do you remember this one? You just not get lost in the story. But the blessing was to go to this one. And so he crossed his hands and the father said, no, 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 don't, don't do that. Don't cross. No, God said do it this way. Why? Because the right hand needed to be on the other one for the blessing. The inheritance was coming this direction. And you say, well, that's powerful. And so it's understood 
culturally, we can even relate to it today. You know, come, he said, come sit in, here in chapter 1, Hebrews over uh, in verse 13, where he quotes out of the Psalms, Psalm 110. Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. A right hand, it was the place of power, the place of authority, the place of authorization. And so wherever God is on high in majesty, Jesus occupies the place at the right hand or the place of highest, next highest majesty. He purged our sins. He came and took all that cosmic peace and made it personal for us. And when he was done, he sat down at the most elevated place in the universe, at the Father's right hand. Acts 7.55, we see Stephen catching rocks. The first martyr, they're stoning him. And what is he saying? He's saying, oh, I see him standing, not seated, standing at the right hand of the Father. And the rocks are still flying. And he's glorying in the moment, saying, oh, I see Christ standing. And some people express this moment so dramatically, I agree with them. They go, this is the one time we have it written in Scripture that Jesus was seated at the right hand of the Father, but at the first martyr's death, Jesus stood. Now, that moves me. Because I think of what he was experiencing. This is the first one to die for their faith. And it says, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And we know it's true. I mean, we have an eyewitness who saw it, died for it in the next few minutes, but said, look, that's where Jesus is. He's at the right hand of the Father. He purged our sins, and then he sat down and said, it's finished. I am most elevated. And we know that there's coming that day when all, as we read in Revelation, where all the kingdoms of the earth will become the kingdoms of our Lord and Christ. And when that happens, he's going to hand them all back to the Father so that everything will be subject to the Father. If you want to go there with me, let's close in Philippians chapter 2. If you don't, just take a nap. Poke your neighbor and say, he's almost done. And then neighbor, poke him back and say, how long is almost? I'm reading out of chapter 2, but I just glanced down and saw 1 verse 2. Let me read it to you because this is how I feel about us. Grace to you. (laughs) And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May his grace be on us today. In chapter 2, verse 8, it says, And being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on the earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Not even for his own glory, it's for the glory of his Father. The Father exalted him, said, sit at my right hand now till I make all your enemies your footstool. I've given you the highest place of honor in the universe to be at my right hand on majesty, wherever that is. And I'm giving you the name that's higher than every other name. This is what, for me, causes me to conclude that we can exclude every other religion, every other promotion of how to get to God because God has made himself exclusive he said all roads don't lead here there's only one and when Jesus said I'm the way the truth and the life no man comes to the father except through me he wasn't joking around it was true and the father said because you've purged their sins because you took their their sinfulness to the cross and you made a way back for them I'm elevating you to this highest place in the universe 
And I'm giving you a name that at that name, every knee will bow. Nobody's going to stand in front of Jesus and say, I'm equal to you. Every tongue will confess. Every tongue that has boasted against him. Every tongue that said, I am the way. Every other religion or leader of religion who said, uh, this is the way, walk ye in it. No matter how close they were. Said in the end of time, they're going to bow the knee. And they're going to say with their mouth, he's the Lord. He is Jesus. He is the image of God the Father. He is all of these things we just looked at in just three verses. I'm so glad that we are serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Capital K, capital L, little K, little L. King of Kings. King of all kings. Every nation is his inheritance. He's the heir of all things. And you're serving the living God. Now, I think life ought to look better after this. (laughs) I think my faith is coming up a little bit. And I'm going, you know what? Yes. You know, I I believe in this kind of a savior. This is no, he used to be alive kind of guy. Is he alive from the dead? He is able to save us to the uttermost. Hebrews 7.25, he ever lives to make intercession for the saints that he might be, we might be saved to the uttermost. Saved from everything. Does it mean we're going to be out of every bit of trouble? No. (laughs) No. But we can come out of it like Job if it gets really bad. And this letter written to the Hebrews writes to us. Remember I said at the beginning, they were saying, where is he? Is he coming back or not? Should we go back to the prophets? Should we go back to the old things we had, the ways we used to worship? Or do we continue following this Jesus? And this letter comes to them. So let me tell you about this Jesus. Let me tell you, he is the best revelation you will ever get. And that we'll we'll never have another better revelation of who God the Father is ever. It's Jesus. And you can trust him. Even if you're going through the worst of times and things are, it's not coming out the way you planned it. You know, it's not, it's not as gloriously wonderful as you hoped it would be. He's still on the throne. And he's still in charge. Serve him. Love him. Respond to him. Let him have it all. If they're your problems, they're his problems, right? Give him those too. Lord, this morning we just give you our lives. Thank you. And not only are you alive from the dead, but by doing that, you took away our sin. You gave us opportunity to be in relationship with the Father. We can fellowship with you daily, talk to you moment to moment. There are no restrictions. And we have the hope above every hope of eternal life. We are blessed. And we thank you today for this blessing. We thank you for raising us up as you said Ephesians chapter 1 raising us up to sit in heavenly places with you oh thank you that the sole of our foot is above every principality and power and every name that can be named is below you and if we're in you then it's below us help us to live this positional relationship out on a daily basis in your name for your glory and the honor of the Father and that men may know that you are the Savior Amen Amen.